Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Pastor Brad Patterson. Pastor Patterson is the lead pastor at First Baptist Church, Levon. He and his wife, Carissa, have been married for 12 years, and they have three sons, Judah, Knox, and Ezra. He graduated from Criswell College in 2012 with a BA in Biblical Studies. Without further ado, Pastor Brad Patterson. Your Bible, would you open with me to the book of Revelation chapter 5? Revelation chapter 5. Dr. Kramer, thank you for your kind and gracious invitation. Um, I love you and the college, and I'm, um, I pray for you often. Also, thank you for uh, Luis and the Office of uh, Vice President and all those who work in there and um, work to get um, to this morning to happen. And so I know the things that go behind the scenes, and so I'm grateful for you as well. And then obviously to my friend Rob Collingsworth, too. I'm grateful for you, brother, just to be able to stand here for you, too. Um, I love you. And I love this college. And it was right back there, ma'am, where you were sitting that I would sit every chapel service um, and pray that God would speak to my heart and he would give me clarity on what he was going to do in my life and my calling whenever um, I left Criswell College. I'll share a little bit of that here in a minute. Um, but here's what I know. As I was prayer, preparing and praying um, for the moment when I would spend time speaking to you, and every chapel speaker is confronted with the question of what are they going to preach? Obviously, you have may, may or may not have done that yet, but the question is like, what are we going to, okay, if I'm going to show up back to the very place that I graduated from college, what am I going to preach whenever I get there? Um, and so um, Revelation chapter 5 is where the Lord led me. We're going to find our way there here in a moment. But as I began to think about, has anybody preached on Revelation 5? I even talked to Rob and I said, hey, Rob, uh, when was the last time somebody preached on Revelation chapter 5? It's like not the latest I can remember. I couldn't remember one. And uh, that's good, right? Because immediately begin to be compared to those who preach on Revelation chapter 5. And so I begin to, to think about this text, but then I begin to think about all the texts that maybe um, and moments in which I've set where you have set, and I've thought about all the messages that I, have, I remember. And there weren't very many that I remember. There's actually one. I remember two sermons, in, um, one in Horner Hall and one in this room. One was from Dr. Creamer preaching on the love that should be unifying the church, but it was at a, a Southern Baptist Texas convention meeting, and it wasn't even at a chapel service. And then I remember one uh, that was from Bill Watson. He used to be a professor. Uh, he's a pastor here in Dallas, and he used to be a professor here at the seminary at the time that I was here. And we were down in Horner Hall, and he was preaching out of Matthew chapter 25. I don't remember what year it was, uh, but I remember walking away from it and not thinking, and, and Bill is brilliant and eloquent, and he is, but I remember walking away from that absolutely gripped afresh by Matthew chapter 25. So here's what I'm 
hedging my bet on this morning that you're just going to forget everything that I say, and that's completely (laughs) fine. But I hope that you would remember Revelation chapter 5. And I hope you're gripped afresh this morning by the text. Here's what I know. Uh, I know that um, there are two types of people in the room this morning. Uh, You're either a mountain person or you're a beach person, right? Uh, And you're thinking, well, yeah, I go to Hawaii. I get the best of both worlds. Fair enough. We don't, okay? So you're either a mountain or you're a beach person. I'm a mountain guy. Um, Not because I'm rugged or tough, right? But because every time I embark on the mountains, I'm filled with a sense of awe. Every time. Their majesty is captivating. Beholding their beauty seems to bring life into right perspective. Right? These large, unbearable moments of life now seem minute compared to the grandeur of reality. It was in 2008 when I began my ascent. I was eager and I was excited. I was raw and green. I was unsure of what lied ahead, but a deep calling and a clear conviction led the way. See, I wasn't climbing some physical mountain. I was climbing a spiritual one. And the trailhead was called Criswell College. And it was here. It was here that I learned to intently gaze upon God's beauty and his majesty. It was here that the captivation of my mind and the convictions of my heart collided. It was here that my affections were inflamed for the word of God and for biblical truth and expository preaching. I was filled with awe. But in 2012, I graduated leaving here. And little did I know that I was actually at the climactic moment in my spiritual life or my spiritual journey, sort of a mountaintop, if you will, in my faith. And upon leaving Criswell, I immediately began uh, my MDiv at another local seminary and shortly realized that I was on the descent of my spiritual life. My heart grew cold. My studies grew stale. I was increasing in my knowledge of the word and doctrine, but I felt further from God than any other season in my life. And I was, um, I was soon to encounter the driest spiritual season that I have ever had and still have ever had in my life. And I reflect back and I wonder what happened in the moment. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know, I didn't know how to, to get back. And so as I reflect and I begin to wonder and I begin to ponder over where did I go wrong? Where did I turn wrong on the journey? Did I miss the path that was ahead of me? What, where, what in the world happened? Here's, here's the only conclusion that I can come up with as I see that I was at a spiritual mountaintop, a sort of experience that I got to relish for four years, being captivated by the Word of God and, and sitting and resting in His beauty and, and being just, uh, just enamored at uh, the teachings that I was learning and And to walk away from that, thinking that I was going to continue that further, I began to get um, dry and stale. The only thing that I can think of is that I lost my sense of awe. My studies became more about a degree and less about devotion. 
I was more concerned with A's and B's and less concerned with admiring his beauty. The recognition of his character was no longer captivating my heart. I lost my awe. John Piper, Dr. John Piper, a retired pastor, um, summarizes education this way, and I think it's helpful. He says this, if education does not lead to exaltation in God, it fails. If seeing glory doesn't lead to savoring God, it fails. If thinking truth doesn't lead to feeling love, it fails. Education, knowledge, sight, thought, they are all for exaltation in God. And if they don't produce it, they are not doing what they were created to be. I think it's helpful. And as we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 5, I want us to see that John was invited into the throne room. He was invited into this heavenly vision to see and to be in awe of God. Now, as we work our way into Revelation 5, let me just catch you up on the first few chapters. Revelation chapter 1 is when Jesus himself is speaking to John, giving him the revelation or laying forth the foundation upon which he's about to give the revelation, and that is that in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He goes on to, to say and to tell John that he is the one that has all power and all presence um, in the church. So they are his churches. It is his revelation. It is his purpose. It is, is what he is coming to fulfill. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, they are the letters to the seven churches. If you've read the, 11, the letters to the seven churches, you know there are some good churches and there are some bad ones, if you will. There are some ones that are following faithfully, trying to pursue Christ and honor his um, intent for the church and to further his kingdom. And then there are those who are not, that are sort of being won over by the enemy, who are being ta- taken captive by the ways of the world and the deception of the enemy. And so um, the end of every uh, letter to the churches is a charge for them to persevere, to conquer, um, to hear the words and heed them so that if they would conquer, then in the end they will win. And then we get to Revelation chapter 4. I, I, I want to be careful even walking into the book of Revelation because at this point you're probably beginning to put me in some kind of category. But I want to be careful there and I just want to go, hey, now we're not leaving the church, all right? It's not left behind. We're now here. Into now we get to see the heavenly throne room. He's, he opens up in Revelation chapter 4 showing that God is the God of all of creation. And so God is the, the Lord of all creation, um, and now he is the Lord of all redemption. As we get to Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb is introduced. This is the point of Revelation 5. Um, so uh, the focus moves from creation, God's power, and his authority uh, over creation now in to redemption, and so we get into Revelation 5, and it naturally breaks up for us into three parts. We'll go 5, 1 through 4, 5, uh, 5 through 7, and then 8 through 14. Let's read the first few verses together. Then I saw on the right hand, the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? To open the scroll, the idea of worthy, it's mentioned four times through this chapter. It is a central theme in it. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. 
And I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look in it. So we see that we have, we see a theme that's obviously runs throughout the book of Revelation of the number seven. We'll see it again here in just a minute. The idea of completion, perfection, uh, fullness. And so here we are, we have the, if we could just imagine the throne room that John finds himself in, he sees the throne. Um, The Father is on the throne. He is the one who is, was, and is to come. He is the one holding in his right hand the hand of power and authority, uh, a scroll, and a scroll that is sealed with seven seals, the sign of perfection. And we begin to immediately begin to ask ourselves, what is the scroll? What is this scroll that is, is so important that, that John is weeping and weeping about? Weeping, maybe your text even says, I'm reading out of the CSB, but maybe your text says he wept bitterly, profusely. Why? Because no one could open the scroll. Uh, no one was found worthy to open the scroll. So what is the scroll? It could absolutely be a reference to the scroll in Ezekiel. It could absolutely be a reference to the scroll in Daniel. It's probably a reference to the scroll in the very next chapter uh, that begins to be opened and revealed. And so therefore, it's possible, possible that it's the rest of the revelation. Well, what is the rest of the revelation is the very judgments of God being poured out on those who ultimately uh, do not conquer, but those who ultimately come against his kingdom by rebelling against his kingdom and fall under his judgment. But it's not just judgment. It's also the, the story of the completion of salvation. That ha- he has set out a purpose and a plan, and, and through his purpose and plan, it is going to come from, to fruition, and it is going to be carried out, and then ultimately those who are going to be in the kingdom, those who are his, will be saved. In the speaking of the kingdom, it could also be and is, we see throughout the book of Revelation, the restoration of the kingdom in which he had established and intended to establish on earth. And so the scroll minimally is, the, is God's purpose and plan, his, his um, plan to judge the world, those who are enemies of his, but those then the plan to save the world and restore things in which he intended them to be in the beginning. We know that John is weeping, and John's weeping. Why? Because if John is to look back in the immediate um, moment of his own life, there's two things here. Is this, if we could just briefly go back to the, to the churches, what do we see? We see churches who some are faithfully following and some are faithfully not. We see an enemy who's at work trying to deceive the people of God and trying to thwart the kingdom of God. They are trying to establish some sort of overthrow plan, setting up world-destroying, world-destroying projects to ultimately hinder what God's purpose and plan is. And it seems to be deceiving the very people of God that are gathering in his churches And so John is weeping, right? There is work that needs to be done. Rescue, the creation, needs to ultimately be rescued from the deadly dangers of the enemy. The church now needs to be rescued from the deadly dangers of the enemy. Those forces that are trying to overthrow the kingdom of God, they need to be 
undone. They need to be overrun. And the scroll contains God's secret plan to undo and to overthrow these world-destroying projects that have already gained so much ground and institute the world-rescuing project in which will reorder creation and its rightful purpose. Yet, there's no one who's worthy. John is weeping, confronted with his own sin and his own self. You can just imagine as John enters into the throne room, he's reminded and put into place um, his own self. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is, enters into the throne room, the vision of the throne room, and what does he do? He begins to claim, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Then when he rightly sees God in God's right setting, then, then he begins to see himself as well. And as John is seeing this, and the need for the scroll to be unrolled to, in order for it to, to be accomplished, to, to be fulfilled, there's no one worthy. And hear me. And it wasn't because you weren't there yet. You too are unworthy. You too are unworthy to stand before the very throne of God and take the scroll from his hand. So verse 5. Then, and well, before, before I get there, let me just, like you can just sense, right, the hopelessness of this situation. And let me just take a moment to just pause and give you a time to reflect on this and maybe you find your place here, in, a, in your life, in your circumstances, in your studies, like I found myself, in just a place of hopelessness, in a place of despair, in a place of brokenness and weeping. So one of the elders, verse 5, comes to me and he says, do not weep. Do not weep. That is the command in the text. That's the imperative in the text. You want to know where it's at? You're taught to look for the verbs? There it is. Do not weep, but look. I love the text. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw, I looked, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. So here we have it. We have um, the elder comes and he begins to comfort John and he says, John, do not weep. Behold, there is hope. There is one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, a reference to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, of the Messiah who was ultimately going to reign and the scepter of Judah would never be removed from him. The root of David, the one who's going to come from the, the, the kingly lineage of David, a reference to um, Isaiah chapter 10, 11, verse 10. He has conquered so that he is able to, to open the scroll in its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb 
standing in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures among the elders. And you can just imagine, so John, who's probably um, face down, is weeping profusely, and the elder comes, and he begins to, to comfort John and says, hey, brother, don't, don't weep. You don't have to. There is hope. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, look, behold him. And he begins to raise his eyes, and he begins to look toward the throne. And what does he see? The line of, the, of Judah? No, a slaughtered lamb. A paradox, one of the greatest paradoxes, the very idea that the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has conquered, has done so by being killed. Jesus, he is the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David, he is the slaughtered lamb, yet he conquered by being killed. The almighty king overcame all of his enemies as his enemies seemingly overcame him. The enemy thought he had won. He thought he had defeated the one who was sent to deliver and redeem the people of God. But little did he know that out of the ashes of the crucifixion rose the salvation of the world. His plan to defeat Jesus by the crucifixion was the plan for redemption for those who believed. Yet the paradox continues. It's a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Dead things don't stand. Yet the slaughtered lamb is standing. Why? Because he's no longer dead. The very one who is, who is conquered by being slain, by being slaughtered, is now the very one who is standing in the midst of the throne. He is the very one who has been raised to life. And the victory has been won because the lamb has been slaughtered and is now risen. Hear me, your only hope, your and my only hope is to be swept up in the defeat of Jesus' death on the cross so that we can also enjoy in his resurrection and his victory. If we were to think back immediately to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, again, the churches, the, the churches that are charged at the very end of every letter to, to conquer to hold fast, to persevere in your faith, to, to hold strong. Is it because of their power? No, it's not. Is it because they have the ability to have victory? No, it's not. What is it? It's because He has already conquered. That's where our victory is. So because you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps? No. So that when you trust in the One who's already conquered, then there's hope. And you get to enjoy of His resurrection. Gotta move. I'm sorry, brother. I just looked at the time. So let's finish. Verse 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with what? The incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because they were, you were slaughtered and you purchased people by uh, for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. It's, it's this idea of the song of if, if he's, he is worthy. He is worthy. Why? Because he was slaughtered. He is worthy because you have purchased people by God or for God by your blood. You're, he is worthy. Why? Because you have made them a kingdom of priests to God and they will reign on the earth. This is, this is the throne room. This is the, the elders and the four living creatures who are singing the song. Then it shifts. It sort of broadens out, if you will. 
And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders and their, their number was countless, thousands and thousands and thousands. And they began to sing with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb who is slaughtered to, be, to receive honor, or, or sorry, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven, seven um, things there that he says you're worthy. Honor, or power and riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory and blessing. And then he broadens out even further. And I've heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And they fell down and they worshiped. You see three songs sort of from the center of the midst of the throne zoomed out from the angelic council to all of creation. Why? Because he is worthy. And why? Because they were in awe. They were in awe. And because they were in awe, their response is praising and praying. That's the response. You saw that, that the incense, the bowls filled with incense were the prayers of the saints. Why? Because he is the one who now stands on the throne, just the audacity that Jesus has to walk up to the Father, take the scroll out of his hands, and declare that he now has authority and power. We see that in the seven horns. We see that in the seven eyes and the seven spirits, that he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. And he is now receiving your prayers and your praise. Brothers and sisters, as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Hear me. Don't lose your all. Don't lose it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. as our sovereign king, Lord of all, the majestic one who has seen fit to create and redeem creation. You have seen us in our sin in rebellion toward you, yet in your grace and mercy you have moved toward us by sending your Son to be our victor, to be the one who conquers by laying down his life for us. Father, as we see in Revelation chapter 5, we're reminded that you are worthy you are worthy of all praise and prayer. You are worthy of our worship. Father, I pray that we would remain in awe of you. 
we would not lose sight of your grandeur and your majesty. We wouldn't lose sight of your faithfulness and your graciousness toward us. Father, that we would continue to praise you and pray to you, seeking you, communing with you, abiding in you, even in a season of study. May their studies, Father, we pray for those here. We pray for Criswell as a whole. Lord, we pray that your spirit would work deep within their hearts, Father, not to just increase their knowledge of you, but increase the transformation of their lives for you. Father, we praise you because you're worthy of our praise in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.